Hello and welcome to Map Bites, episode 23. I'm Elaine Giles and I'm here with my co-host Mike Thomas. In this episode, we have a PC acting as a Mac. Hmm. An email rant and no, before you think it's me, it is not. Retrieving lost tweets and we take a look at how to supercharge the finder. But before all that, let's catch up on last week's show. And we heard from Annette from LearnMaxOnline.com uh, on two points. Um, she pointed out that Jing can also do screen capture, which follows on from a show we did about screen capture. Um, but that will make an appearance on MacBytes, and that will be when we take a look at video screen capture. And uh, she also said, uh, just finished listening to your podcast about screen sharing, and there's another option, and that option is TeamViewer.com. Um, and it's free and it's cross-platform. So um, that is good news indeed. I've not tried that one. Have you tried that one? I've not tried that one, no. I had to look at the website, but uh, I've not actually tried it yet. No, I haven't. Um, I hadn't even heard of it, uh, which is uh, strange for me, because I'm sure that we looked at all of those for um, our trainers group. But there you go. So maybe it's a new one, but uh, no, it's not one I've tried. But uh, thank you very much for that and for your very nice comments. Enjoying the show. Keep up the good work. So really nice to hear from you, Annette. Uh, so, also from last week, any news on your Calibrate issue? That's what I'm going to have to chase up. Uh, for those of you that uh, have forgotten, uh, a couple of weeks ago we talked about uh, iCal and um, calendar uh, applications. And one of the problems that I found with Calibrate was that when you batch move events from one calendar to another, what it actually does is it copies them and not moves them. Uh, what they asked me to do was send them a, a debug log uh, and they'd have a look at it, but I'm still waiting. But I will report back as soon as I hear something. And uh, Lucy C, uh, talking of iCal, you'll be glad to know that I finally did get round to writing a blog post on my Outlook and iCal integration that we discussed uh, on that episode. Uh, you can read the full thing on my blog, as I say, and I'll put, uh, put it in the show notes where to go. You see, me putting it on that uh, to-do sometime soon list worked. Mm, it certainly did. Uh, I can actually feel uh, another blog post coming up. Uh, last week we talked about Ray at the Mac Club and uh, his Gmail problems. And uh, I had uh, email problems of my own this week. See, the rant's not me, it's you. It's me for a change. What do you mean for a change? Oh. I seem to have acquired this reputation somehow. Grossly unfair. Do carry on. Thank you. Well, on Friday, I received an email that was advised me that my mailbox was almost full. I've actually got a 250 mega quota and I use IMAP. So as far as I understood, when I delete something from an inbox or sent items, it just disappears from the server. The mail actually looked like spam. Uh, it's it quite funny because I showed it to you, didn't I? You did? And we were not quite sure whether it was spam or not. What gave it away to me was a couple of spelling errors and the fact that the send address just said uh, mail demon. Didn't actually say you know mail at SiteGround or anything like that. Ah, but it was. It was true. It was, because what I did was I logged into the SiteGround control panel where my mail is hosted to find a red flashing message that says uh, you're almost over your quota. So, yes, it was true. So what I did was using webmail, because what you can do from the SiteGround control panel is you can use this. There's three different webmail applications they've got there. They've got Squirrel Mail, Horde and Roundcube, which are great names, actually, aren't they? They're amazing. I don't use any of those. <laughs> I use mail to web sometimes. Uh, but no, I, I only use those when I log into the control panel uh, because they're there. But uh, I found that I had a very strange folder structure. Below inbox, I had inbox, and then I had inbox again. <laughs> this is sounding familiar because I had a similar situation with um, IMAP mail. And within inbox, 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 which sounds like iPhone, iPhone, iPhone. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> within that, I had sent items, and I had another sent items, and I also had a couple of deleted items folders as well. Just a good measure. Yeah, so what, what was actually taking up the space was the mails that I'd been sending over you know, a period of time. Uh, because I have a particular sent items folder in mail on my Mac and mail on the phone mapped to a particular sent items folder on the server, which was fairly empty, 
So as far as I was concerned, when I looked in mail on the Mac and when I looked in the iPhone, you know, there was hardly anything there. Uh, and I hardly ever use webmail anyway. I was actually unaware of the problem. So what I had to do is I had to move the mails and I had to do this using webmail because obviously I couldn't see them on uh, mail on the, on the Mac. I had to use webmail to move the mails from these folders that they were in to the sent items folder that the Mac was mapped to so that I could then see them in the Mac, move them off the server into an archive folder locally on my Mac, if that makes sense. It makes sense to me, but I'm wondering why you're making life so complicated for yourself. Well, I don't know what caused the problem. I mean, you've said that it happened to you with IMAP. It happened near the, at the beginning when I got my iPhone. Um, prior to that, I had, uh, I think I had Popmail um, on my main account. Obviously, I had IMAP on Mobile Me. Um, and what I found was I changed it over to IMAP. It should have been simple, um, but then shouldn't, shouldn't everything be simple? And now obviously it wasn't. I had to wait for it. It took sort of 20 minutes to update and 20 minutes for this and 20 minutes for that. And you're sat in a dialogue box waiting while it beach balls and thinks about it. And it's not locally, it's the server. Um, I also had problems with another mail account until in the end I decided to just simplify the whole thing. I've got a lot of different mail accounts and I decided that, you know, you're creating multiple accounts on the Mac, etc., and I just made the decision that unless I sent mail from a particular account, which with the majority of them, I don't, um, I would just have every account forward to my main account and just query that. So um, I, I did that. Um, but before I did that, yes, I had the same problem as you. I had multiple folders that just seemed to appear like mushrooms all over the place. Um, and I tracked it down to webmail. Now, I'm not actually on the same server that you are. I'm not with the same provider for my mail hosting. Um, but I did find when I tried their hosting, that's exactly what happened to me. So I don't think it's actually all mail's fault. I know you found some articles that suggested it was, but I think it's partly the server, partly mail. Mm. I seem to remember that the multiple folders appeared on my phone. Uh, and I'm sure it happened when I set my account as IMAP, which was when I got the phone. Um, and according to the setup instructions on SiteGround's site, you have to set IMAP path prefix, uh, which you'll get on the phone and you also get in, uh, in mail.app as inbox. And this, I, th I believe, is a fairly common thing that you do. Um, and I did get a nested folder structure on the phone, but apart from the annoyance of the display, everything seemed to work OK. Or at least I thought it was working OK. But now, you know, having spent... Um, the best part of yesterday trying to sort it out I, I think that was actually the best part of the entire weekend as I recall trying to sort it out yeah and I realized now that the problem was that uh, there was lots of sent items which I couldn't actually see via the phone well I had problems when I set up my father's uh, email on his iPhone he was a very simple setup he said he got one computer and didn't have mail on his phone but when we set it up on the phone we had all these issues there again so I think every um, mail hosting company is set up slightly different so and you're trying to sort of shoehorn each setting into a standard set of settings on um, your mail client mm. and I certainly don't use webmail anymore because that just caused complete havoc so um, is that your rant then? It's not my rant, no, not completely. Oh dear. I actually tried Thunderbird because some people, like you said, some people on forums mentioned that uh, MailApp was the problem. So I tried Thunderbird. Uh, and although Spamsive works with it, I would have to have set up all my rules and auto signatures again. So I decided that wasn't a long term solution. And anyway, you know, Apple Mail should just work out the box. Well, it works for me. So um, I'm quite happy. I also set up a forwarder to forward all my mails to mobile me, which worked, but then I was unable to change the from address when sending new mails on the phone. And uh, your suggestion was to forward everything to my Gmail account. And of course, that did work. Oh, you see, a perfect, a perfect solution. Mm. That definitely needs a blog post. But in the end, I decided to, to actually delete the mail account. I went for the uh, scorched earth policy, as they say. Uh, deleted the whole mail account because there was nothing in it. Uh, recreated it and it now appears to be working OK. But uh, if anyone else has experienced anything like this, please get in touch. Please let me know that I'm not the only one. And yeah, <laughs> I definitely think you're not the only one. Let me know if you manage to solve it. Deleting the mailbox will solve the problem, at least temporarily. I 
think if you don't access it through webmail, it might be all right. But uh, I know at work you may have the need to access it that way. So the Gmail option is an option. We need a show on um, email, you know. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Cause we there's should definitely do that. so much to cover, isn't there? Anyway, now you've ranted, it's my rant. My turn, my turn. It's a tiny complaint, but uh, the more I thought about it, the more annoyed I actually got with it. Uh, you remember a couple of weeks ago I mentioned using Delicious Library on the Mac? Don't you? I remember that. You remember that? Exactly. And you use that too. And it's a great application. And um, there was quite a party when they released a version for the iPhone. And all this version for the iPhone does um, is synchronise with your desktop one. So, like I said, you can go out to a bookshop and you can have a look, see which version, you know, which edition of the book that you have um, because you've got your library with you. Well, it's been pulled. Oh, and no. this time... Mm, oh, no. And this time, it's not Apple's fault. This time... It's um, Amazon, who are concerned about the use of uh, their appy to store data on a mobile device. Because how it works is Delicious Library is very clever. You can uh, pass a book over your eyesight camera. It'll read the barcode. It'll go and query Amazon via the Amazon appy and then populate your database for you, which is brilliant. Um, having said that, you don't have to do that. So if you're prepared to sit there and type all the information in, then you could use it as just a standard database for your books, in which case you've not accessed Amazon for any of their information. Um, but uh, what's happened is um, Amazon aren't pleased. They've changed one of their terms and they won't let the developer store any information retrieved from the Amazon appy on a mobile device. So he's had to pull it. And um, on Twitter, he was saying... It Unless they change, he's asked for permission. They did say you could ask for permission to use it. He's asked for permission and they've turned him down. So he says unless they change their position, he can't see Delicious Library for the iPhone coming back anytime soon. So I was a little peeved about that when I first thought about it. And the more I thought about it, the more annoyed I got. Um, luckily, I've got it and um, it doesn't seem to have wiped itself yet. And just in case they do decide to remotely delete it, I I've backed it up. But um, coming hot on the heels of another article I read, I'm sure a lot of listeners have heard of this one. It was just, if you don't have a Kindle, I'm sure it was quite amusing. Did you hear about the Kindles and their automatically disappearing books? Yeah, well, you mentioned that to me last week. Yeah, uh, people who have a Kindle and have certain books on there uh, woke up one morning to find that they'd vanished. Their accounts had been credited with the amount they'd spent on these books, but the books had been remotely removed from the device. Um, and it was all to do with a publisher who had decided they'd changed their mind about having e-books and um, had persuaded Amazon to retrospectively pull them off people's devices, which is amazing. That That is really quite worrying. Um, and this seems somewhat similar. So um, what difference it makes, whether you have their information on your desktop or your mobile device, I really don't know, uh, makes me think potentially... Um, Amazon might be coming out with something of their own, similar, maybe for the Kindle or maybe for the iPhone. Um, they have done this once before, uh, last year, and uh, it was a little application that somebody had written to access Amazon and let you purchase things. And again, they uh, changed the terms, pulled that, and a week later, Amazon put their own version of this application out. So um, it's looking maybe that's what they're up to. But it doesn't look like it's going to come back anytime soon, which is a huge shame. I also think for developers, it's rather unfair. They spend all this time, they develop something great. People enjoy using it. Um, he isn't even charging for it. It's just really an extra to Delicious Library for the Mac. And um, then retrospectively it gets pulled and that's the end of that. Makes me think with Amazon, uh, whether they're becoming the new Google. Everybody says Google's got too much power. Maybe Amazon are going the same way. And as you know, I've had my own fun and games with Amazon this week. But since I'm in the middle of sorting them out, I'll leave that story for next week. We need a good, good, funny story for next week. And uh, that's going to be one. But on to other news. Uh, breaking news about the iPhone uh, appearing on other networks soon. Um, sounds great in principle, but um, I just hope the companies involved don't start creating these complicated tariffs. You know, like other phone companies where they're trying to beat each other by five pence and they take off some features and things. Um, 
it looks just it looks like competitive pricing but it's just just a facade really and you're never quite sure what you're getting yes vodafone i'm looking at you they constantly were on at me when i was with them uh, asking me to change tariff go to this tariff you'll you'll get some free text you'll get this you'll get that and i honestly they were so complicated i just wasn't sure what i was getting and i love the fact that the iphone is really simple you know give them one of three flat fees and that's it, you're sorted. So um, what, about, what do you think? Yeah, that's exactly what I like about the iPhone. You just pay your money. Okay, if you go over your, your quote of, of minutes or you go over your quote of text, you're going to pay more. But um, you, you know what you're paying for, you know what you're getting, and it's, it's straightforward. Uh, in terms of coverage, um, because of where I work, uh, it might actually be good for me working, uh, having another provider. I don't know. I'd have to check the coverage charts before doing anything. And they released those last week, and um, apparently O2's 3G coverage wasn't good. Mm, I can vouch for that. <laughs> In the middle of your field with your cows and your sheep. Mm. Well, do we both have to change, though? Um, I think with Vodafone, when we were both with Vodafone, yes, you would, because uh, the free minutes were only Vodafone to Vodafone free minutes. I know now your inclusive free minutes are just inclusive. Um, but to be honest, we've, we've always done that, haven't we? We've always been with the same provider, um, just from management issues, etc. I'm uh, quite happy with O2. Um, like I say, I, I just want something that is simple and, and not one of these convoluted things to save five pence. Yes, competition's good, but not when they get to the level that they're bamboozling you just to uh, get you signed up. I think it would be better if the competition, rather than focusing on free minutes and texts and paying for your data and all that kind of stuff, um, focused on the things that we're interested in, like tethering and things like that. The good stuff. Um, and like you're saying, improved coverage. I think that would be a big improvement. So um, hopefully on that front. And customer services, which is so important. So I'd like to see that. Anyway, a possibly related story uh, in the midst of this. O2 have announced that they're al allowing free Twitter updates via text. So you can get your um, direct messages and your mentions sent to you free of charge via text. So um, that's interesting, isn't it? Coming out at the same time. Didn't they have that feature before and uh, and then they had to stop it because of the cost? Um, I think that was mainly in America. There was definitely texting available. Um, I'm not sure about that. don't know whether it's over here. Yeah, I think I think the, the, what they're saying is um, you, you're going you, to, if you want to actually text uh, a tweet, as it were, text a tweet, uh, it's going to come out of your allowance, isn't it? Yep, it, that's coming out of your allowance. The free part is that, that your DMs and your mentions are sent to you free of charge. So you just have to, when, when they um, release this feature, which is in the next few days, you just go there and sign up for it and you're done. Mm. I know some people, uh, the more popular people on Twitter, their phones would never stop buzzing though, would it? Mm, true. <clears throat> that isn't a dig at me with my prowl, is it? It's not a dig at you at all. Really? No. Okay, I'll admit um, it. It's been buzzing a bit this week. <clears throat> Yes, I know. Sorry. Because <laughs> when it buzzes, I, I lose all attention on you, don't I? You definitely do. <laughs> we can be in the middle of talking about something. Bzzz. Go and check the iPhone. Well, at least it's only the iPhone that's buzzing. Anyway, moving on. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah, talking of Twitter, uh, you came up with an ingenious solution this week to Barry's lost tweet. Um, Barry, uh, one of our friends from Twitter, Perfect Shadow, uh, he received a nice reply from a non-follower eight hours ago on the iPhone through Twitterific. And he said it's nowhere to be seen on the web interface. You know, what's going on? Has it been deleted by the user? Well, I suggested it could well have been deleted by the user. That was probably the most likely explanation. But if it's not too late, then you can get it off your phone. Um, obviously, as soon as you open your Twitter application, it will send out a ping and it will try and update. But if you enable Air plain mode first and then you open your client then you can screen capture what's there and uh, then you can uh, you know so you, you've got the reply information and then you can switch airplane mode back off and uh, you're good to go you know i never thought of doing that what can i say but uh, I've had my own technology challenges this week because um, I think Tuesday, I think it was, I switched on my PC at work, booted it up, logged in and the first indication that something was wrong was that my wallpaper was missing and I couldn't get into my documents, um, I couldn't run Outlook. Some people might think that was a blessing in disguise. 
uh, I couldn't get into the onto the internet, uh, but my favourites in uh, IE were still available. So, using Outlook Web Access, I sent an email to the help desk. And uh, as I was typing, I looked up at my screen to reread the email and I had to do a double take because I typed several things in quotation marks and where I typed the quotation mark, it was displaying an at sign. So obviously my uh, profile problems had extended to my keyboard mapping, but uh, I prefer to think of it as my PC desperately wanting to be a Mac. <laughs> That, that is such a, that's a good analogy, that. Uh, a bit like the Palm Pre, which is desperately trying to be an iPhone. Yes, iTunes kills Palm Pre sync this week. Um, honestly, I'm not surprised. I predicted that as soon as Palm demoed the feature. I'm only surprised it's taken this long. Yeah, my first thought was that Apple was being petty-minded. Now, you see, that wasn't my first thought. I know that people were saying, well, now they now Palm have just done it. You know, Apple are going to look petty-minded if they stop it. But to be honest, there's two points there. Um, it's Apple's customers who pay for the research and development on iTunes. Whether Apple choose to charge for it or not, it still needs funding. And that's us Apple users that are paying for it. So I think Palm have got a cheek to think that they've got the right to piggyback their hardware onto it for free. Um, I know there's probably no licensing option available and maybe that's something they could have investigated, but uh, they didn't. They just decided to just go for it. Obviously, um, easier to ask for forgiveness than permission there. But secondly, uh, legally, I doubt Apple had much choice. Uh, whether they were being petty-minded or not, I really don't think they had much choice. Just imagine this situation. Apple can't say they're not aware of this sinking. They are aware of the fact that Palm Pre can sync via iTunes. They couldn't not be because Palm told the world prior to its launch that it could. So Apple then decide, OK, we know about that. Um, and they would have implied knowledge even if they claimed they knew nothing of it because it has been made so public. So Apple do nothing to stop um, the Palm Pre syncing with iTunes. They don't encourage it. They just totally ignore it. And then in the future, they obviously carry on developing iTunes and they make a change. And that change has an unforeseen consequence for the Palm Pre users. So let's say the Pre users, they can still sync, but something else breaks because of changes that Apple have made to iTunes, not deliberately, but they've just made. So let's say something fundamental, like it stops them making phone calls, maybe. That's a bit fundamental. It is fundamental, but, you know, I'm making this example as clear as I can. So some Palm Pre users are going to sue Apple. Now, notice they're not going to sue Palm because Palm didn't make iTunes. Apple do. So despite the fact that Apple have never approved or encouraged pre-syncing, I can see an argument being put forward by p potential plaintiffs claiming that, well, they've done nothing to stop it. So by doing nothing to stop it, they've provided implicit support. Now, believe me, I have heard much worse arguments in court and they've been successful. Now, of course, the trouble with that is it forces Apple to lock iTunes down and that protects them from potential claims, but it leaves them wide open to a whole set of other complaints. This time they're going to get complaints that they're being a monopoly, very similar to the claims made against Microsoft in the 90s with IE. Well, I can see where you're coming from and as you're the legal beagle, I'll bow to your superior opinion. Trust me, people will sue over anything. Talking of which, did you read the Mafia and Apple story this week? Not until I saw the link in the show notes. And it actually, when I read it, it sounds like something from a TV drama such as Damages. I read it, you know, and I wonder where the iPod was going to figure in it. Yeah, we've put that link in the show notes. Um, I couldn't even begin, the show would drag on for hours. I couldn't even begin to explain that one. Um, I was like you thinking, OK, OK, you know, I'm three quarters of the way through the summary of this case. Where do Apple come into it? So um, do go and read that one, guys. That is really, really funny. And talking of insanity, which that clearly, clearly was, um, this week, a story from the BBC. Microsoft are the number one brand in the UK. You're joking. <laughs> Not how scary is that? Um, I was amazed they were in the top 10, but uh, what can you say? And uh, the criteria for um, deciding who the number one brand is were listed at the bottom of the story and um, they've got to be seen to be believed. So we will put the link to that and do go and have a read and make sure you're sat down and ready for a good laugh with that one. And of course, riding high on that could have been why Microsoft have decided to take Apple on head to head in the retail sector. Yeah, they're actually going to be opening some Microsoft stores. I'm scared. 
Yeah, a um, couple of couple of links in the show notes for you to read, but one of them I thought was hysterical. Ten ways Microsoft retail stores will differ from Apple stores. You know, looking at that, I thought it was a serious article until I actually started reading it. <laughs> no, 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 that was that was a definite joke on that. <laughs> yeah, I won't spoil it for you. Go and read it yourselves. Um, but although not a retail store, when we were in the Trafford Centre a while back, you were in the Apple store dealing with your iMac, dare I say. That could have been any time in the last three, four months then. And uh, I'd gone to get something and I spotted uh, what could only be described as a Microsoft play area for kids. Uh, maybe that was the prototype for these stores. Oh, my word. What, like a cardboard cutout, you mean? Mm, exactly. Uh, but as I say, I, I really did like that uh, article from PCWorld.com. Real tongue-in-cheek stuff. I hope that was the article with a picture on. Um, it looked like a store and on one side of it there was an Apple logo and on the other there was the Microsoft one. No, that was actually the other article. Oh, well, it's a good picture, so so that's worth seeing as well. It is a good picture, yeah. I think there was some tongue-in-cheek as well on the uh, gizmodo.com article. Yes, I'm sure there was, because that's... Um, you don't, you're going to have all the Apple users going in there just for a look. But anyway, as promised, let's move on to file management and supercharging the finder. Well, my file management started, you're going to like this one, with uh, C15 cassettes on my Sinclair Spectrum. Life was so much easier back then. <laughs> and I started with a DOS prompt, DIR and all that. Actually, that was quite powerful. But after spending a few years with, because um, I moved on then, <laughs> height of technology to a workbench on my Amiga, I entered the dark realm that was Windows 3.1. Do, 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 do. Exactly. Yeah, the file manager on Windows was actually yeah quite powerful, uh, with its uh, multiple windows. You could you could have multiple windows and for different drives and just drag and drop files between them. Yeah, when Windows ninety five came out and we got Explorer, I was horrified, um, shocked beyond belief looking at it, and um, I wanted my file manager back. I didn't like Explorer. Yeah, and, and Microsoft obviously had their reasons for doing it, um, but yeah, it was it was just different, and it just didn't seem to work in the same way. It seemed to be less powerful, and when you when you are used to multiple windows and just drag and drop, um, there's there's it, you've got to get used to that different way of working, haven't you? I think if you've got a single drive, you were probably okay. Um, but to me, I like to see two locations, so no. So for me, it was a good job they left the file manager there. You needed to run it from a DOS prompt, but uh, it was well worth the trouble. And uh, I carried on using file manager, to be honest, until I found uh, a wonderful freebie from PC Magazine called Tufa. And what Tufa did was um, you, instead of running uh, Explorer, you ran Tufa, and Tufa opened two Explorer windows in any configuration that you saved, uh, and then you could drag and drop between them. So Tufa was brilliant. Um, it was okay because uh, you were still using Explorer, really. But uh, for more powerful stuff, I moved on and I used Directory Opus, which was a program that had its origins um, on the Amiga. And that gave you a dual pane view. But it was very, very powerful. Um, you had It was very configurable. You, it was scriptable. To be honest, there was absolutely nothing missing with it. So um, I really ditched um, Explorer. I didn't, uh, you can, obviously can't take it off the machine, but you could um, get Directory Opus to open instead of Explorer. And um, that's what I did with it. I love Directory Opus. Brilliant piece of software. Yeah, I used it too. And I think when we moved to the Mac, you really looked for something, didn't you, that was the same? I did. I was looking for something that was as, as near as possible to that, or, or at least had all the features that that had. I'd say Directory Opus is the best thing out of Oz since since Jane left Oz for her recent UK visit. Hi, Jane. Uh, but onto the Mac, onto the Mac. I didn't have much luck finding something similar. So um, it was Finder, and my initial thoughts were, oh dear, this is basic. Um, but then coming from Directory Opus, it was always going to be basic, I think. And uh, if I'm honest, it's not much worse than Explorer in terms of um, the missing features. But uh, I did think it's basic. That was my first thought as well. Um, compared to File Manager, compared to Windows Explorer, uh, you've got this, this tool and uh, there's not a lot to it. 
No, but you can improve on what Apple gives you out of the box. So uh, let's have a look at what's changeable. Well, obviously there's the views. Um, I didn't like the icon view. I always switch to list view because I like to see more information. I never really got used to that column view. I, I don't like that at all. And uh, I got quite excited over Coverflow thinking it was going to be great. And it's one of those features that demos really, really well. But to be honest, it's virtually unusable in practice. Um, it's all right, but, you know, not everything's got um, a nice preview, uh, especially not some of the files I work with. So um, I don't actually find I'm using Coverflow much. Uh, I suspect you're the same. Yeah, I'm with you on that because uh, I think it was the column view that was was the default. The very first time I looked at Finder and I just thought this this looks really strange. Uh, and I couldn't get used to, to the icon view. I can't get used to the icon view in Windows. I actually prefer list view like yourself because you can easily sort the data into with, with the different column headings. The only benefit that the icon view's got um, is if you don't have it auto-arranging, then you can drag things around and it gives you a, like a visual thing, you know, like you do on your desktop. Mm. So um, that's one advantage of the icon view. But no, it's list view all the way for me. Yeah, the cover view's great in uh, iTunes, but, uh, you know, not really for uh, for Finder. It's one of those things that are a bit gimmicky, I think. I obviously did what I'm sure everybody did as soon as they got CoverFlow, which was um, go to my applications folder and uh, browse through them. And indeed, very nice they looked as well. And then I turned it off and I don't think I've turned it back on since. <laughs> no, I'm afraid with that one, probably not. Um, but one thing that they did put in that is absolutely brilliant is Quick Look. And I use that all the time. I love Quick Look. Yes, I've got so used to it, I tried it on a Windows machine the other day. Yes, I had the misfortune to be working on a Windows machine over the last couple of days. And that's exactly what I did. And do you know what? It doesn't do a thing. It doesn't. <laughs> no. So and I'm sat there thinking it's broken. It's bro Oh no, it's Windows. Um, thing with Quick Look was it's great um, if the file format is supported, but uh, I use a lot of files and uh, it's not supported. Um, but I did find a few plugins that worked brilliantly well. Um, I, when I press the spacebar on my zip files, see the content of my zip files. But I know that you didn't. No. But, and you uh, were feeling swindled. Yeah. But that comes from stuff it expander, doesn't it? Oh, don't you sound knowledgeable? Who to who told you that? You told me I that. I told you that exactly. Yes. yes. I, well, I tried that on my uh, laptop. Yes, but was that there. was ah. But you see, before then, you were looking at your desktop and saying, "Oh, yes, you can't see in, see inside a zip file." Mm. Um. Well, to be honest, if I'm really honest, I um only installed stuff it expander for pretty icons and growl notifications, um, on my zip files. Um, How now, sad. Yes, yes, I know, but pretty icons matter. I'm a design person, what can I say? Pretty icons are very important. Um, yes, uh, the Mac can handle zip files, creating them, um, expanding them, etc. So why use stuff it? Well, those are my two reasons. I prefer the icons and I like the growl notifications. But now it's got the ability to show you the in the contents of your zip file, then that's even better. And I, I do like that. I did have a plugin that did that way back at the first couple of weeks when we installed Leopard. I had two um, extra plugins that I had and the zip file was one of them. But now it's in Stuff It Expander. Um, I think I'd use that one. So um, a good reason to use Stuff It and it is free. Uh, just don't be tempted when you go and download it and they try and get you to buy the deluxe version. And they ask you at least 17 times if you're sure you only want the free one. Don't give in, don't give in. Um, I did have problems with Stuff It itself, but the expander seems to work very well. And I love the ability to see inside my zip files. So uh, that's how you can get that for free. Another one that uh, seemed useful, but uh, I didn't reinstall it, was um, a quick look plugin to show the contents of your folders. Now, I had a problem with it uh, where I'd go to find to a finder window and I would click a file to rename it. And um, obviously it selects the text and you go into rename mode. And before I'd finished typing, it had come out of rename mode. And I'd kept typing and then obviously I had a different file selected. So what was happening was it was constantly reading in the folder contents while I'm trying to rename a file. And it just would not keep the focus on the file name. And this was driving me mad. And I thought, what on earth have I installed that has done this? Um, and it was this plugin, this quick look plugin for to view the folder contents. So when I uninstalled it, it was fine. So um, I never went back to it. I don't know if you've still got it installed. I haven't, no. 
No, so I can't vouch for whether it still does it anymore, but uh, sometimes it's quite handy to view the contents of your folder without actually opening it. So there is a plug-in for that. But the one that I find really useful for my work is called Sneak Peek Pro. That's a good name, isn't it? It is. And uh, what that does is it's a quick look extra plugin for the Adobe Creative Suite applications. And it also does things like EPS files. Um, so I find that one very, very useful. Trouble with that is it's, it's payable and uh, I think it's $20, which is quite a lot for a quick look plugin, but um, it gives you a lot of extra features. So if you are uh, doing a lot of design work like I do, it gives you more than just a preview of the contents of your file. It also shows you what fonts you've used, what color palettes you've used. So it really is more of a designer's tool. But if you've got uh, files that uh, like EPSs and InDesign files and Illustrator files that you would like to uh, be able to quick look, uh, it certainly made a difference for me, certainly saved me a lot of time uh, because those are big applications to load up just to have a look at what the file looked like. So what I was doing was um, also saving a PDF of the file so I could quick look the PDF so I don't have to do that anymore. So those are some things that you can do with Quick Look to enhance your Finder experience. Um, but there's also other things, uh, like the Places bar. You have your sidebar on the left-hand side, and you can add places to the Places bar. So you can configure what's displayed there. And I've certainly added um, a few items there, um, particularly backup locations. And as I'm working through the day, I'll drag things to the backup. But I know you had a problem with it. Yeah, I've got a folder called Software on uh, my external drive and within that I've got another folder called Mac. So because I often download DMGs to uh, my desktop or my, my downloads folder or even speed download and then drag them onto the desktop, once I've installed them I then want to keep the DMGs and I keep them in this Mac uh, folder. In fact each application has got a folder within this Mac folder. So I created the the shortcut, if you like, to the, the Mac folder on my places on my bar. And uh, it says Mac. Now I know exactly what it refers to, but what I wanted to do was I wanted to change its name, change its label, but still have it refer to the right folder. But when I changed its label, it actually changes the name of the real folder. It does. I've had that as well. Um, I came to an understanding with it. Uh, we came to an agreement that uh, I would preface the folder names with um, what they were, but I know that's certainly not ideal, um, but it just made it a little bit easier for me. Maybe there's a way around that. So um, if anybody knows, then do let us know. Uh, another way, a sort of semi-workaround for that that I found um, and I did it for another reason as well. I've edited my menu bar. So every finder window that opens, I have a, a very customised menu bar. Um, you can change the buttons, obviously the standard buttons. So um, I think I've added a, a few of the standard buttons. Um, but you can also add things of your own. And um, what I've added, I've added a location. So like you're saying you have a folder, I have added a folder to my menu bar. Now, if you add it to the menu bar, it doesn't have anything underneath it um, unless you turn on labels. So what I do is change the icon. So the icon means something to me and I do it visually. So I have a sort of um, incoming inbox type folder and I put everything in there. So and if it's not filed, it'll be in this inbox folder. So I've put that on there, but I've also put um, some applications as well. Um, I do a lot of design work, so I'm handling a lot of design files. So the different graphics formats. I may want to open a graphic in Photoshop or it might be Fireworks. I might want to look at a set of graphics in Bridge or I might want to open them in Illustrator. And obviously they'll open which uh, in whichever application they were created in or um, is default to handle them. But I want sometimes to be able to specify which they open in. Obviously you can right click and say open with but sometimes that takes its sweet while to populate so um, I've actually put applications on the menu bar as well and uh, that works well for me so you could give that a go. Mm, I might try that. Now another thing that you've got in Finder to uh, help organise yourself um, is colours. You can assign a colour to, to a label. So uh, you have labels and those labels are one of a few of a handful really of colours. Um, I'd love the ability to have uh, lots of different colours but you are limited to, to a few. And um, there's positives and negatives really with working with colours. It's very visual, so if you are working with the Finder, you can immediately locate a specific folder. And um, I certainly do that for a few folders. And I know I'm not even really particularly 
bothered what colour they are. They stand out if they're any colour other than the default white. So um, it works well for that. But uh, another way I've tried to work with it is if I'm working in a folder and I'm moving a lot of files, I'll think, oh, I'll make those ones red and I'll make those ones blue. And uh, yeah, they'll work as yellow. And that will mean something to me today. And when I return to that folder in three days, I'll think, I wonder what the yellow ones were. So um, I, I try to avoid doing that because I'm lethal with myself. Um, I think you need really to do what you're meant to do, which is go in and actually edit the name of those labels. So at the moment they're called red, yellow, orange, blue, etc. You can go in and you can change those in the preferences for your finder. And I think if you went in there and you did do that and those colours did actually mean something to you, then it might work quite well. Um, but... I don't think I've quite got into, into using that to any great degree yet. No, I haven't. The only place I've used it actually is on my laptop. Within my home folder, I've got a folder called My Stuff, which is where I just dump stuff when I'm uh, I'm working on it. And it means I can just go in and, like you say, very quickly visually see that's the folder I want. Uh, maybe I want to drag stuff out of it onto a pen drive or something like that. I loved the idea of colours when I saw them in the finder. I thought, oh, this is so cool. Because on Windows, I did have something else. Um, I think it was called FNO, File Note Organiser. And it let you assign colours to files. And again, I love the idea there. But you really have to have some sort of workflow going that means something to you for it to, to be a huge benefit. So it was something that I thought, oh, this is really, really good. And then thought, hmm, need to think about this to get the best from it. Um, another thing that you've got in Finder, which is very clever, is smart folders, uh, saved searches, and they are deceptively powerful. I must admit, I only, I've only used a few of them, but the ones I've used, um, I do use quite a lot. So maybe there's something that uh, I should look at even more. But um, they've helped me isolate a certain say category of file to be able to burn them all to DVD so I'm looking for um, all my Dev and Think files and they're all in different folders and I, I set up a smart folder which pulled them all in there and I can then handle them en masse from there so that works very very well. Have you used those? I haven't no uh, all I've really done is use the, the normal searching to search for for something like uh, some uh, files that have got a similar name maybe files that I've recorded from a TV series or something like that. But because uh, I tend to do one off searches, I don't tend to do repeated searches, but I can definitely see the benefit of it if you were doing that kind of work like you are. Well, for me, it was just, just locating all these files to make sure that I got a backup of them all. I mean, the whole drive is imaged anyway, but uh, it, it was useful for that. So I can imagine if people have um, their files neatly filed in lots of locations or alternatively not filed at all and they can't find a thing, then uh, smart folders might be the way forward. But one of the most useful finder enhancements I use is a little application called Simple Window Sets from uh, Hamsoft Engineering. And uh, that is brilliant. It's like a more powerful version of Tufa. So you set up your finder windows. So you uh, put them on the screen. You set up uh, all the configuration that you want with them. So if you don't want the sidebar showing, um, if you don't want the menu bar showing, you set them up exactly as you want. Position them on the screen, um, you know, size them together. You can have two, three, four windows and then you save a view of them. So if you repeatedly use two finder windows open on your desktop, uh, say one on your documents, one on your backup drive, then instead of setting up the size and location each time you need to use them, which I must admit at the beginning, that's exactly what I was doing. Um, you just need to save, uh, to open the saved setting and you are returned to the precise view that you saved. So a view can consist of as many finder windows as you want and on a multiple monitor setup, as many monitors as you want. Uh, you put them in any position. So um, if you prefer three, four or even more windows open, then you can do that as well. And that uh, you can access it in in at a future date via the simple window sets. Now, you're not limited to saving one configuration, which you were with Tufa. So you can have multiple saved views and you can access them in one of a number of ways. How it works is there is an icon on the menu bar and when you click on that, you get a drop down menu and it can all be nicely segmented with separators as well. And uh, you choose the saved window set that you want. Click on that and it opens all the windows. 
Uh, you can also use, and you can turn this off if you don't like it, but you can also use a global shortcut key. So by default, it allocates control shift and the numbers. So the first 10 um, saved sets you've got get allocated those shortcuts and you can create a default one as well. So it's very, very quick if you do want to open up um, a, a configuration that you use frequently to get to that configuration. And the last way to open them is via something called the sets manager. And that's just a dialog box. It's a management window. And um, the good thing with it is it's got an always on top option, which is something that a lot of Mac apps don't have. Mainly the Mac apps I wish did have it are the ones that don't have it. So um, that's great to see that option as well. So you can leave a little dialog box open and it gives you complete management of all the saved definitions you have. Uh, and those sets can be customised as well. You can have a user-defined icon. So again, we were talking visually with colours. Um, you can have a, an icon so uh, quickly you can see which one it is that you want. And as I say, you can separate the menus into sections. So you can have or maybe all your backup views in one section. And uh, you've also in that view got options to rename, reconfigure and uh, update them as required. So uh, I find that really useful. That makes Finder actually workable for me. That actually sounds like two for on steroids and I think it's about time I gave that one a try. Yes, I don't think I told you about that one, had I? No, we kept that quiet. I did, didn't I? Oh, well, you take far too much persuasion, you see. You should listen to me. You listen to me and I'll tell you more. Anyway, there are of course alternatives to Finder and uh, I've got several of those as well. But um, Finder's just there, isn't it? And you know, command an N and, and you're there. And uh, I like the clean interface as well. But uh, you can improve its functionality even more with um, some extras, which uh, I know you've done. Yeah, one of the applications that I use, well, two applications that, that I use from uh, publicspace.net. One is called a Better Finder Renamer. Uh, and the other one is a Better Finder Attributes. And what they do is they allow you to do batch processing. Uh, so you can do things like with the finder rename, you can do things like convert case. So for example, you've got a, a bunch of photographs. Now uh, I've got some photographs, so I want to put them on a website and I know that uh, some web servers, you have to have the, um, the file names all in lowercase. So I've got these photographs and they're a mixture of case or that they're all in capitals. I don't want to change the file name so I can run a case conversion process on uh, the, the files or I can change the date and time. I can add text at the beginning. So uh, if they're photographs from, a, say, a football event, I may, may decide to put the name of the event on there. And you can also have sequ sequential numbering. So uh, I can change the text and I can have underscore 001, underscore 002, underscore 003, etc. Yeah, I've used Renamer for um, screenshots that I'd taken before I knew any better with the um, built-in option. And um, it worked very, very well. Um, that's something that Directory Opus had built into it and um, it really did work in a very similar way so uh, you're sort of supercharging finder by uh, adding in some of the features so um i configured hazel to look after that um once i'd learned of its existence and uh, hazel is something we've mentioned briefly in it and it's one of those things that people either get or they don't but uh, hazel is sort of a service that sits there watching over folders and um, the, the folders you tell it to automatically uh, watch and organize and it will organize your files with the rules you create and it could be anything. You could uh, set the label colour, you could arrange to move the file, you could sort the files into subfolders, you can even set it up to import items into iTunes. So Hazel's really, really powerful. And um, I found it useful for um, moving those screenshots off the desktop, but obviously I've moved on since then. Could you use it to notify you when files are put into a certain folder, for example? I do believe it's scriptable. So... Um, I would suspect so. And the, the other good thing with Hazel is it's growl enabled. So you know what that means. Oh, it would be, wouldn't it? Mm, more growls on the prowl. Because mm. what I'm thinking is, um, you know, when you transfer files to a particular folder of mine or you send files to me via speed download, um, I need to remember to go and have a look to, to see that I've got new files in, in those folders. And if I could be notified somehow, then, uh, you know, I'd be notified. Well, you usually get notified when I'm jumping up and down that you've not dealt with them. 
Well, that's what I meant, an automatic notification before you notify me. Oh, right. Before I'm at screaming pitch, mm. you mean. Right, fair enough then. <laughs> anyway, when you've got all those perfectly named files and you need a list of them, uh, there's a couple of applications that, uh, that will do the job for you. There's a very simple one called Folder Lister. And what that does, you run it and then you open up a finder window and you drag a folder onto the little icon on the, uh, the dock and it will create a list of all the files for you. Uh, and you can either do a simple list or you can do a more complex list that includes the attributes, uh, the date and time of creation and things like that. Uh, and you can even print it out. So I remember using that to generate a list of everything in my applications folder when I was rebuilding my machine. Yep, I think I used it for that as well and I imported it into uh, numbers and colour coded everything. Oh, because... I may not like that, <laughs> but he did help when I was rebuilding Leopard. You're quite yeah. right. There's another application along similar lines called Print Finder. Um, that does a similar thing. You drag and drop a folder into its window. Uh, you can configure it to include subfolders and uh, include detailed information uh, and include invisible files. And it seemed a bit of an odd um, omission for the finder not to be able to generate just a quick list of files for printing, didn't it? Yeah, it did. There's other things you can do with this print finder as well. Um, you can sort the list. You can even filter by keywords and include and exclude. And then you can actually choose how you're going to output it. So whether you send it to a printer, you know, generate an HTML file, a plain text file or a PDF file. And you can uh, save the uh, the output as well. Uh, and you can also, I think, save the, the, the configuration so you can rerun it several times. So there's a couple of useful applications. Yep, and I've got a couple of other apps that make working with Finder even better. Uh, default Folder and Super Get Info. Yeah, I use Default uh, Folder. I know you do. Uh, wasn't that another app I um, enlightened you with? It certainly was. I thought it might have been. And uh, I know it can do a lot more than uh, all I use it for. And uh, I'll leave you to explain that. Well, I found it. I actually knew about it way before I had a Mac because it's similar to something that I loved on Windows from Hyperionics called Filebox Extender. And they'd based Filebox Extender on default folder. And uh, I couldn't work with Windows without it. So um, I, I was really excited, got to a Mac and thought, I must try that default folder thing. Um, what it does is it adds extra features to each save and open dialog box. So you can uh, access the file locations faster. You can set the label colours of a saved file as you're saving it. Uh, and most usefully, you can add your spotlight comments as you're saving the file. Now, the only other way to do that, really, with your label and your spotlight comments is um, to go and find the file when you've saved it and then do it through Finder. So um, those two features alone save me a ton of time. And if you're using it to open files, so you use your open your file open dialog box, you get integrated preview as well with most applications. So um, that also saves a lot of time. If you've got two versions of a file and you're not sure which is which, um, and you've got to open them both, you actually get the preview so you can preview it first. Now, from a file management point of view, it has an icon in the menu bar. And from that menu bar, you've got fast access to the locations of your choosing with your favourites, uh, your recently used folders and uh, all the open finder windows as well. So um, I find that one deceptive. It's one of those it's one of those applications where if it isn't or if you're used to it and it, uh, suddenly you're on a Mac without it, you really notice it's missing. But uh, it, it integrates so well, you've forgotten that you've installed it. But you sure know when it's not there. Yeah, the only bit of it I really use at the moment is the, the bit that lets you quickly click on a, a finder window or the desktop if you want to save a file to it. And uh, definitely, um, if you if you haven't got it running, as I didn't have earlier today because it had crashed, you uh, do miss it. You certainly do. It's um, It dims the screen. It doesn't have to, but it dims the screen when you when you save or open um, a file the way I have mine configured. And, and if I open or try and open or try and save a file and the screen doesn't dim, I immediately think something's broken. So, um, yes, I can vouch for that. And the other one is uh, supergetinfo from barebones.com, the people who make BB Edit. 
and um, that gives you a supercharged info dialogue where you can view and edit the type and creator codes and uh, you can change those codes. There's pop-up menus um, configurable with favourite settings and things. So it really offers you um, above and beyond what's available from the info dialogue box. Um, some of it's sort of more Unix owner group and permission type stuff, more system engineering geared but um, there's a lot in there that uh, most people would find useful. I love the open with, uh, there's a contextual menu plugin where you can uh, edit your open with so I particularly like that because uh, I fight constantly with the open with dialogue so uh, I can vouch for that one. I particularly like the um, option to change those type and creator codes. Yeah that's an app that I've not seen before um, you know I don't think I've had a need for any of those features. No, but you were talking about um, creator codes, weren't you, and now why you'd want to change them. And uh, a creator code is how, in uh, pre-Mac OS X days, um, the file system linked a file to an application, and um, it's still there. So if you think of Windows, on Windows, if you have Word set to open your doc files, then Word is always going to open your doc files, whereas on a Mac, that isn't necessarily so. Uh, one doc file can be opened in Word, and another one in OpenOffice, and yet another one in Pages, if you, if you like. And how it does that is um, using those creator codes. So uh, that's what it's there for, and that's why you might want to change it. So that's Finder dealt with. Uh, we should have called that Pimp My Finder. But uh, next week, we're going to be taking a look at some of the replacements for Finder, including my personal favourite and um, yeah, several others as well. But uh, my personal favourite, which is the important thing. You know, for something that's so fundamental to using a computer, there's actually a lot more to it than meets the eye. Well, it's horses for courses. Um, I know people at the Mac group who, who sort of maybe make two or three files a month. And um, then there's others of us who are handling terabytes of data. And um, for me, Finder doesn't cut it for the heavy lifting that I do. Um, I sat down this weekend and uh, I had a couple of new drives that I'm doing backups with off old um, Windows drives. And it's a job I've been putting off and putting off and I had to bite the bullet. And I'm handling around six terabytes of data. And I'm not going to be doing that in Finder. I'm going to be using my alternative. But Finder's perfectly adequate if, you, if your needs are considerably less than six terabytes, I'd say. So um, we'll be looking at those alternatives next week anyway. So um, people can make their own mind up. And we'd love to hear what, what you guys use out there. So um, do let us know any tips or tricks on that. And whilst I'm talking about tips and tricks, it's feedback and comments. So um, thanks to Stargate John for his comments about Prowl. He said it could become the killer app on the phone. And uh, I totally agree with that. So um, why not tell us what you think? Uh, because I've got a sneaking suspicion Mike's going to tell us what he thinks of Prowl. Well, I've not installed it yet. <laughs> no, but you've had enough of mine prowling and growling with itself. Mm. But I have installed LaunchBar. I'm actually finding it much faster than Quicksilver, and I'm also amazed by some of the things it can do, but that's for another show. I knew I'd convert you in the end. Mm, I'm actually even starting to like Growl. Oh, steady on. And uh, talking of Growl, I'm still testing OmniGrowl. Um, I had high hopes for it, but I'm not 100% sold yet. So uh, more in a future episode when I've um, tested it fully. Uh, maybe it's growling a little bit too much and in totally the wrong places. And congratulations to Amanda, who is loving her new slimline iPhone cover. Uh, as I mentioned a couple of shows back, she's gone and bought one. And she's now on the hunt for covers in different colours, which concerned me. Um, that is beginning to sound a little bit too similar to shoe shopping for my liking. So, um... Good luck with that, Amanda. I'm quite happy to stick with uh, the black one. I'd like a white one, but uh, I'll I'll stick with the black one and, and avoid any thoughts whatsoever of shoe shopping or any other kind of shopping, to be honest, that's not tech shopping. Moving on to events, the next MacBytes Live event is on the 30th of July when we are discussing how to be an email ninja, the secrets of Inbox Zero, a topic that several of our followers have expressed an interest in learning about. And uh, you can attend that by going to mapbytes.co.uk slash live. And in fact, if you go to digital-iq.co.uk, you can get details of this event and all our other events. Yep, I've had uh, a lot of enquiries about that, so um, I think it could be standing room only. But seeing as though you are going to be in the comfort of your own living room while attending, that won't matter at all. So uh, everybody is welcome to that. And uh, hopefully you will pick up a few tips and tricks. Now, next week, uh, we have a competition. 
How cool is that? We have a competition. Um, Stargate John mentioned when we did our roundup of screen snapping applications that we'd missed one, um, which was similar to Little Snapper, and it was called Voila from Global Delights. Anyway, um, Global Delights have kindly agreed to sponsor a competition, and uh, you will have the chance next week to win a copy of Voila. So uh, I'm going to do a review of it this week, and uh, then we're going to take an extended look at it next week, and uh, we're going to have a competition. We should really have a competition this week to see what the question is for the competition next week, shouldn't we? But anyway, there you go. And we're also going to finish our look at file management um, by taking it to new heights. We're going to be comparing the finder alternatives that I mentioned earlier. So um, that's it for next week's show. But that's it for this week's show right now. So as always, we would love to hear from you. Send your questions, comments, queries and anything else either within reason, by email to macbytesuk at gmail.com uh, or even send us an audio file. Now, we have a contact form on the website now as well, so that's also another way to let us know what you think. So uh, on the website, in the top right corner, you will see contact as an option. So uh, go up there and uh, use the contact form as well. And you can keep up to date with what we're up to via the website at macbytes.co.uk or on Twitter, twitter.com slash macbytes. And you can follow me personally on Twitter at twitter.com slash Elaine Giles. And you can follow me at twitter.com slash Thomas Mike. So, until next time, this has been Elena Mike bringing you MacBytes. Goodbye and see you next time. Goodbye. <laughs>